wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Father, we come to you so grateful for the opportunity for us to gather together as a church family this morning to study your word and to worship your name. Father, as Blake comes up to to teach us from this text, Father, I pray you would open our eyes and allow understanding. And I pray that our understanding would lead to application, that you would transform our hearts by the teaching of your word this morning. We ask this in your son's holy name. Amen. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to kind of hit some random places um, before we kick off a new series toward the toward the end of January. Um, and and as I was thinking about you know today and our message today, it's just kind of going to be a, a standalone deal where we're not going to journey through a book or anything, but we're looking at a specific text. And 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 I landed at this text because I think about all that Sulphur Community Church. Um, has, has been able to experience this year, past year, uh, especially coming out of the holidays, we, uh, we did some amazing things. We were able to be part of some amazing things. Um, I just, you know, looking at, you know, the Christmas store and all that. Anytime we do anything, this church just blows my mind. It really does. Um, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, and I've had uh, other comments that were made to me saying, you know what? I've never seen a church where that many people showed up to something to serve or to just kind of give or whatever. And, and so I am always encouraged um, by what happens here. And I don't want to say all these things to to just kind of blow our horns. I say all these things because it causes me to worry, actually. It causes me to have concern because what I know is spiritual warfare is a stark reality. And I don't know if you've ever been part of that, um, a part of a, a situation where you felt immediate, um, direct spiritual warfare against you. Uh, but it normally happens, it normally comes um, just as God's getting ready to do something huge or just after God finished something huge. And so when, when, we, when he's leading us to something, um, we can expect attacks from the enemy the most. Or when we've just accomplished something, or we've seen God do something amazing, or we was part of something, then we can expect for the enemy to launch an assault. 
and and we've seen that Ashley and I have uh, I can you know just the the the, the premise for where, where where we are today in Sulphur Community Church. Um, we, the minute we started taking faithful steps toward planning this church, um, man, the enemy came up against us in ways that we would have never imagined. Um, and, and so while we didn't want to have to walk through those things and walk through that season of life, the whole time we knew God's fixing to do something amazing. And we know that because we are absolutely defeated and we absolutely don't have any power in us or any capability whatsoever. We are wounded, we are damaged, and, and we've, we've, we've been inflicted uh, on all sides as we've tried to walk through, through this and, and be faithful. Um, and so I just want to say that as an encouragement to the, to the church, I've never seen anything like this. And I'm completely amazed at how all of you selflessly serve and give and do and just it's out of joy, it's not out of toil, um, and, and, and I'm just encouraged by all that. And, and as I see all that, and it's like, man, God, what are you doing? Like, this is amazing. I just, it causes me to have concern because any minute the enemy can launch an attack. He can launch an assault because... God's doing some pretty amazing things. He really is. And I don't know if you've been paying attention or just kind of keeping your ear to the ground, just staying in community with one another to know that. But I'm telling you, this is very unique, what we see here. It's very, very unique. And I'm so grateful that God gives me just a little glimpse of this because I've never been part of such a generous, selfless bunch of people in all my life. And I'm so thankful that I that I get to be here and, and, and serve with you. And... Um, be part of what God's doing here. And so at the same time, uh, hear the concern and know that um, we, we have to remain focused because what will end up happening, what tends to happen is when, when we're part of something big that God's doing, we tend to say, wow, look at what we're doing. We tend to do that. We have that tendency. And, and I exhort you and I'm begging you, please, keep the main thing the main thing let's keep our focus our focus is that we make much of God that's that's why we exist that's what we're for that's what we're about that's why we were created that's why we gather here that's why we serve the community that's why we serve the world that's why we give that's why we do all the things we do is because we want God to be glorified we want him to be made much of in our neighborhoods and to the nations and we want to do that by accurately giving a display of Jesus being a reflection of who he is um, and, and when you look at Jesus, it's all selflessness, all selflessness. And we'll look at that through Scripture today, but just know that, that this is, that we're, in, we're in unique times, and, and God's letting us be a part of that. Um, and so let's make sure that we keep Him out front. And so one of the ways that we do that is we can basically, our relationship with Him must be a, a tight-knit one, a close one. We must be in close proximity to God, always to his word, to his nature, to who he is, uh, so, that, so, that he's, so that we don't start looking at ourselves and thinking we're something, that we don't think we're awesome. Because when you're in the presence of God, whenever you're uh, face-to-face with him, uh, you're not at all looking at how awesome you are. You look at how wretched you are and how holy he is. And so it's re- keeping close proximity and staying hungry for this word and allowing God to bring his kingdom in our hearts and on earth as it is in heaven, allowing Him to continue working that in us, making much of Him, not in our own power. Uh, so, you know, we, we do a lot of neat things, and, and at the same time, we don't need to um, start looking as if we have the power to pull any of this stuff off. 
if, if, if we go and do anything in, in, in this community and in this world, if we go and do anything, it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we go. If it's in our own power, it will fail. It will not be worth anything. And so it's always keeping God out front, making much of Him through the power of the Holy Spirit so that the nations, our neighborhoods, and the nations will see our good deeds and glorify our Father who is in heaven. And that's the point. Our point is that He be made much of. And so our text this morning, I'm saying all these things because we are abs- we're on the uh, end of 2015. We're fixing to start a new year. And everybody, every one of us, will have this tendency to say, fresh start, new beginning, what needs to change, how, what needs to happen. Like You start thinking about and analyzing those things. You start looking at your life and saying, where am I aimed? Where am I going? What's going on in my life? And what, what things need to change? What things need to grow? What things need to be removed? And so we, we, we're here in this text for that very reason that um, this is absolutely a fascinating text. The, the temptation of Jesus Christ himself, the moment that Jesus and Satan go to battle, the moment that they're in this cage match. And if you were with us uh, this past summer, I know there's a lot of new faces, but we did journey through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we spent a long time there. There's three chapters in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 that, that encompass the greatest sermon that was ever preached. And we wrapped that up this past summer. And our text today is pretty much a prequel to that sermon. Uh, This is what happened just before Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And in my opinion, one of the most crucial goals that you can set for yourself going into the new year is that you would individually, not as, I'm, not, I'm not saying as a church, because if you individually do this, we'll all do this as a church, but you individually would grow more into the likeness of Jesus. Like, make that your goal. That I grow more into the likeness of Jesus. Because every other goal that you set is, is going to be able to come in behind that. If, if, if you set yourself to say, this is what's going to happen for me. I'm going to start now growing more into the likeness of Jesus. That's going to cause me first to go here and find out who Jesus is, what he's about, what's his story, what's his life, what's his characteristics, and so that I can start to emulate those. Um, and so that's where, that's in my opinion, probably the greatest goal that you can set. And the key to pulling all of this off. The key to be able to say, I'm going to grow more into the likeness of Jesus. The, the way you pull that off is being with Jesus. You want to be like Jesus, you have to be with Jesus. There's, there's no other way to become like Him. Our, our study this morning, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. That's very interesting. That He was led up by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The wilderness is this, um, this place of refinement. Uh, that's when we see this in Scripture. Uh, in the Old Testament, we see a lot of this in many instances where people were there in the wilderness. We see, we see Moses there. We see the nation of Israel there. We see Elijah there. This wilderness is an untamed place. It's a wild, barren, empty place with no structure, no form, no distractions. There's nothing there to distract you. There's only air and opportunity between you and God in this wilderness place. And this is where Jesus goes. And it's it's probably one of the hardest places to be. If you've ever been in the wilderness, it's probably one of the hardest places you will ever be. But many times, 
it's the best place you can be. Many times it is the best place you can be because it's where God will come and meet you. It's where God comes out to meet you. And, and, and all distractions removed. Everything about you, all of your self-sufficiency, everything has been removed from you. And that, that allows God to do an amazing work. And so it's a place of formation. It's where God makes you who He wants you to be. And some of you are in this place right now. Some of you are in this wilderness place right now. That, that there's... It's dry, it's barren, it's empty, it's no structure in my life, there's, I'm alone, like there's a lot of things that point like I'm in this moment. And me personally, I've gone through this moment more than once. And it's, the bad news is, is that you're in this place, but the good news is, God will come and meet you in this place. It's where He shows up. And you're not going through anything Hear me here. You're not, if you find your place, in, you're, if you find your present location in the wilderness, in your life, you're not anywhere where your Savior didn't already walk. Because see, God's never going to ask you to go to a place that He hasn't gone Himself. He's not going to ask you to do anything that He hasn't done Himself. He's not going to subject you to anything that He hasn't subjected Himself to. And so you're not going, you're not there alone and you're not the first person to be in this place. You're not the first person to have to go through this moment. And others of you, you might say, well, that's not me. I'm like, I'm not in that place. Like everything seems to be going fine. Um, I feel like my life is kind of headed in the right direction. Like things are going good for me and, and I'm not there. Let me just encourage you. Don't buy into the lie that your moral behavior or anything is keeping you in that place. Don't, don't think, well, it's because my behavior is good or it's because I was real generous at Christmas and so God doesn't have me in that place. Don't buy into the lie that your behavior um, or your, your supposed perfection, your, your perfect life has got you in this place where I don't have to walk through that because I'm generous or because I'm good. Uh, I do good things. I say good things. I read my Bible. I pray. I come to church. And so I don't have to go through those things. Don't buy into that lie. Because Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God sent to earth from heaven is going through this moment. He's going through it. So if we want to equate this to how we behave, then this gets washed away. That, that whole theory gets washed away right here at Christ, the only one who is perfect, the only one who knows how to behave properly, the only one who can pull this off. He's going through this wilderness moment, this, this moment of emptiness and barrenness, no structure, alone. And there are two kinds of temptations. And we've, when, we were in the, um, when we were in the Sermon on the Mount, we actually carved out a, a, a series within that, and that was the Lord's Prayer when we walked through there. Uh, and that one, we spent a lot of time just at that part saying, lead me not into, into temptation, but deliver me from evil. And we spent a whole hour talking about that. Um, and, and, and so here we are looking at temptation. And, and through that study, what we learned was there's, there's, there's really two types of temptation in Scripture. The, the word temptation means to test, kind of like a trial. And there's, there's two aims here. Uh, because God, God does some trials and some testing in Scripture. But it's always for the strengthening, the benefit to strengthen you. And then the enemy will test you. And it's always to destroy. 
It's always to destroy. And so you see where, where the, the testing, the temptation in Scripture to strengthen, you see that in Abraham, you see that in Joseph, you see that in Daniel, you see that in the Apostle Paul, where he's being put through these tests, these trials, to be strengthened, to be, to be made more into the likeness of God. And then you see where testing or, or temptations that are aimed toward destruction um, first rattle out of the box, Adam and Eve. That trial, that test was aimed toward their destruction. Ananias and Sapphira, we read in, in, in the book of Acts, when they came and they sold a piece of property and they came to give it, and they wanted to, they wanted to let everyone know how generous they were, but they, they really were greedy and they kept some for themselves, and so they were tempted. And so that was the response that Peter gave to them when they came and said, Here, here's what we come to offer you. We give you everything. And Peter says, Are You sure that's everything? And, and Peter already knew the answer to that. And he said, Why have you let the enemy tempt you? Why have you let the enemy do this to you? Um, and they fell dead. And here um, we see Jesus, this temptation was aimed toward Jesus' destruction. It was not aimed toward His strengthening. And that's, that's very interesting because He overcomes. In the end, He overcomes the, the temptation that was aimed toward His destruction. No one is more treasured by God than His Son. Yet this has to happen. This has to take place. This is God's plan. He was led into this temptation moment by the Spirit. Led out into the desert to be tempted by the enemy. God's will for Jesus in this moment was to face it, to go through it. It was necessary for Jesus to go through this. Uh, the writer of Hebrews would say in chapter 5, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And this experience is necessary for you and me. And so if you find yourself there right now, it's necessary. God has you there for a reason. If you're not there, you're going to face this. And remember these words that God has you there for a reason. It is necessary for you to walk through this. And my guarantee to you is that you will be tempted. You don't have to go looking for it. You don't have to go hunt it down and, and, and find out where I can be tempted. You will be tempted. It will come looking for you and it will find you. And the big question is, is are you ready for it? It's coming for you. Are you ready for it? Are you prepared? You don't have to fall prey to the temptation, but you will have to go through it. It's coming your way, and are you ready for it? There is an all-out war, and the salvation of man is what's on the line here in this text. And like Jesus, these attacks would come at our most vulnerable moments. Verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Really? He didn't eat for 40 days and he was hungry. That's interesting. The accuser, he comes to him with three different assaults. Here in the text we see how he transitions. He throws three different uh, missiles at him to try to destroy him. Um, and the first one, they, these are common to us, and so that's why we're here. And we're, and we're here looking at these so that we're prepared as we determine our lives to become more like Jesus in the coming year that we know that this is what's going to happen and here's how to win. Here's how to pull it off. Here's how to make it through. And the first temptation that Jesus had to go through, the one that you and I always have to go through, is the temptation to lose trust in His Father. And that's where, I mean, like, think about this right now. Who or what 
are you fundamentally trusting right now? Who or what are you fundamentally trusting right now? Whether you consider yourself religious, um, a faithful, devoted follower of Jesus, an all-out atheist, you're trusting in something or someone right now. It's happening. You've got your faith in something right now. It may be a person. It may be a thing. It more than likely is your own self. And so who is that? For Jesus, this is his relationship with his Father. That's, that's what's being put on the line here. And likewise, if you're a believer, that should be the thing that all of your trust and faith is in, is in your Father. And this is the first thing that Satan goes for. This is the first thing that he wants to damage is your relationship, your connection, your closeness, your trust, your faith in your Father. That's what he's going after here. He says, Then the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, what should have been written there is since you are the Son of God. Not if you are the Son of God. If you were to just flip back to the end of the last chapter where this story started in verse 17, Jesus has this moment where He's baptized and when He comes up out of the water, the the heavens open up and we see uh, something like a dove come and land on Him and that represented the Spirit of God and you hear a voice from heaven coming down and saying, Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. It's not a matter of if. He's the Son of God. It's just been confirmed here that the heavens opened up and all of God's glory said, this is my Son. This is my beloved. There's no question about it. And so remember that, and the next thing happens is Satan comes in and says, if you're the Son of God, he's going to put that on, he's going to put that on trial for you. You sure? Are you sure you're a child of God? Temptation will always put a question mark where God has put a period. Always. That's what temptation does. It makes us doubt. It makes us think about, is he my father? Am I his child? When he's always said, yes, you are my child. And we need to embrace that. If you're a child of God, if you're a believer in Jesus in this room, then you need to embrace the reality of your father's adopting love. You You need to own that. You need to believe that, that the same song in Christ, the same song that God sung over, over Jesus at His baptism, He's singing over you. This is my son. This is my daughter who I'm well pleased. They're beloved. I love them. They're part of me now. And I love them. It's not a matter of if. And so when you start accepting this lie that you're not a child of God, that you're not loved, that you're not noticed by God, You won't be able to withstand temptation. You won't be able to make it through. And so that's where we follow. You won't think, man, I don't know why. I I, I blew it again, man. Like I was tempted in this area and I I just, man, I just wrecked it again. It's because you don't believe who you are. You don't believe who you belong to. And that's, that's what the enemy does here. He aims to put God's love under strict, close scrutiny. He says, if you're the son of God. If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now that's that's interesting. Why in the world would Satan tempt Jesus there? Like think about it. This is a guy in his 30s, single, um, and this is what he's tempted with. There's so many other damaging things that 
the enemy could go after at this point. So many things that could cause a, a, a guy in Jesus' position to, to fall and to fail and to give in to temptation. And, and really, if we think about it, I'm not so sure that turning rocks into bread is a sin. Like, is that a sinful thing to make a miracle happen? I've seen Jesus do it all throughout Scripture, yet at this moment you're, you're tempted as a temptation? It's not evil. It's not wicked. It's not sinful. But temptations are usually relative to the season of life that you're in. And for Jesus, the season that He is in at this moment is in a season of fasting. He's, 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 he's in a season of refraining, of giving up, of not taking food. Specifically, not to eat food. Right? That's, that's what season He's in. And so this is a season of complete and utter dependence on His Father. That's what season he's in right now. And for him to break away from this dependence, to, to break this, is to break the bond of community between the Father and the Spirit in this moment. If he's to make the decision say, I'm going to do this, that's to say, I'm making a declaration of independence that, God, I don't need you. I can pull this off myself. Isn't that our story? Isn't that our struggle? And that's where sin lies. It's this idea where, I, God, I don't need you. I got this. It's our own individual declaration of independence. How wicked and how evil that is and how deep that runs. How deep that runs to where even if that's put on the table for discussion, independence, that we would turn our nose up and say, absolutely not. That is not what God wants. Uh, dependence. God wants us to be strong and, and independent and free. And I don't know where you've learned that. But that's not what we see here in Scripture. This is our greatest temptation to say, God, I got this. I don't need you for this moment. And so the temptation to lose trust is the temptation to look for fulfillment or freedom and things apart from God. It's saying, I'm looking for satisfaction and something other than God. And so if Jesus in this moment has spent 40 days and 40 nights closely connected to His Father all dependent on His Father. Every need is being met in His Father. Yes, He's hungry, but every need has been met in His Father. And the temptation and what would make it sinful is for Him to break away from that and to say, I got this. I'll do this on my own. And that's where the enemy was after. That's what he was after. And Jesus doesn't take the bait. He doesn't fall into this idea of entitlement. Like, God, you owe this to me. God, I spent 40 days and 40 nights on my face. I haven't taken a bite to eat. You owe this to me. That's, that's our story. We struggle with that. That, that attitude of entitlement. And he doesn't, he doesn't fall for it. He doesn't take the bait. And in fact... Let me just say this. God does owe us something, but we would never, ever want it. And that's His wrath. That's what He owes us. But I want you to look at the cross because Jesus has taken all of it on Himself so we don't have to take it. And that's the only thing, the only thing that God owes us. He owes us nothing else. And Jesus doesn't fall for the entitlement. And He doesn't fall into this attitude of doubt where his trust is broken. 
And we struggle with that too. We struggle with that too because I would say more so than this entitlement attitude, we struggle with the attitude of, God, where are you? Do you even hear me? Do you even see me, God? Have you forgotten me here in this desert, in this wilderness place? I have done everything in my power to seek you and to seek your face and to seek your namesake. I've done all of these things. Where are you, God? And Jesus doesn't take that bait either because close proximity to the Father, closeness to the Father is the key to defeating this temptation to break your trust with Him, to put your trust in something else besides Him. It is the weapon for Jesus. It is our weapon. Close proximity to the Father, being in His Word. How does one remain there? Here, feasting on Scripture. You and I are not ready to face temptation if we have not been gorging on this Word. We will fall flat on our faces if we haven't been feasting on God's Word. And so Jesus is the Word, obviously, but He's still modeling for us how you overcome temptation, how, do you, how, how it happens. And it's apparent in our text today that Jesus loves the book of Deuteronomy. Like, he loves that book. That is his go-to book. He quotes every verse that he comes back at the enemy with comes from Deuteronomy. It comes from there. Not only that, just throughout the New Testament, when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He goes to Deuteronomy and says, love God with everything you got. And it's likely that, much like we'll take a book and preach through a, a series, uh, it's likely that the Sermon on the Mount was his sermon series through the book of Deuteronomy. He goes to all of those places and expounds on the book of Deuteronomy in his Sermon on the Mount. And so it's, it's apparently his, uh, one of his favorites. Uh, and he goes there in verse 4. He says, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so he goes to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 right there. And during this time um, in Deuteronomy, Israel was wandering in the desert. Um, and they were going to be doing that for 40 years, hungry, wondering if God had forgotten them there, wondering if God could even see what was going on. Matter of fact, they were even shaking their fists saying, God, we were better off as slaves. We were better off in Egypt with bricks and tar. Like that, that was better than where we're at right now. And so that's the word that they received. That's not what it's all about. It's not what life's about. It's not how this man does not live on bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of God. And there's more to life than food and drink. There is more to life than food and drink. At the core, there is something spiritual going on. And so fulfillment and freedom are the things that we seek the most. That's the thing. We're looking to be satisfied and we're looking to be independent. That's, that's where sin is all entangled. And fulfillment and freedom can only be experienced when you plug yourself into the source of fulfillment and freedom. And that's, that's God. And if we want to be like Jesus, we have to be with Jesus. If we want to be able to overcome temptation, we will be facing it. Church, social community church, God's been doing great things. Spiritual warfare is real. Get ready. 
we will be facing spiritual warfare. We will be facing assaults and attacks from the enemy. And the ultimate way Jesus will battle this is through Scripture, through prayer, and through fasting. How many of us are praying and fasting? How many of us are gorging on this Word? As I've prepared through this and prayed through this and just pondered on it, I actually even mentioned on our trip that I wasn't talking much just because I was just thinking about this. It's like we don't pray, we don't fast, we don't seek the Lord like that. And so, moving into the new year, um, I intend to put several means for us to be able to do that. Things that we need to be praying for. Ways that we can fast. Ways that we can look at Scripture and do that as a church together. That's coming, and I want you to commit to doing that. Because if you don't, you're not going to be able to stand temptations, attacks, and assaults from the enemy. It won't happen. You won't be able to pull it off. That's how Jesus does it, and that's how He models for us. And so the Another, another temptation, the second one that we, we see in this passage and we battle with it as well is the temptation to lose our image, to, get, to, to, to give up our identity. And, and we see in verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on a, on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, there's the question again, not since, but if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. For it is written? Is, is the enemy now quoting Scripture? So you know Scripture? Good. The enemy knows Scripture too. Okay? So he says here, and he quotes in verse uh, Psalm 90, he quotes Psalm 91 here in verse 6, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And so he says, I'm going to throw Scripture back at you. You want to be a Bible scholar? You want to be a theologian, Jesus? You want to quote Scripture back to me? Here, here's one for you. Take it and go. Can you, can you pull that off, Jesus? And so it's not just enough for us just to, I know a few verses that I can pull out when I need them. You need to be gorging on the entire full Word of God. We have to be intimately connected to the entire Word. And so what is Satan asking Jesus for in this moment? What is he asking Him to do in this moment? He's wanting Him to be an entertainer. Want Him to do a trick. Do some tricks. Put on a show. Create your own image. Build a brand, Jesus. Make yourself awesome. Like, you can do these things, pull it off. Like, how awesome would it be if, like, you did this and people knew about this? Like, what kind of following would you get then? That would be awesome. Why don't you do that? And so the temptation here that Jesus is faced with and that you and I are faced with often is that we want to have influence without having character built in us. I want to be a leader. All right? Okay, if you want to be a leader, let me just go ahead and say this in the room to you and then your neighbor who's normally beside you, I want you to tell this to them next week. If you want to be a leader, it's not up to you. You don't have the choice to pick whether you get to be a leader or not. It's those people around you who put you as leader, who recognize that, that God's gifted you that way and that's how you're going to serve His kingdom. And so for those of you who would say, I want to be a leader, I want to be a leader, I want to be a leader, have you, have you let the Holy Spirit build character in you? Have you let God do His work in you? Because this is the temptation that the enemy was, is coming after. He's coming after and he's saying, you can go ahead and just bypass all of those things, bypass the character building, bypass the tough stuff, and just have influence. Be awesome. Make a name for yourself. Create a brand. 
And we are a right now society, and Satan plays on that impatience. He knows that about us, that we, everything has to be right now. I want to build a career, but I don't want to have to go through all the preparation that it takes to become someone good in my company or, or to build my career into a successful thing. I want to be good at something. I want to be good at a sport or something, but I don't want to go through the formation process that it takes for me to get there. I just want to be there. That's our attitude. That's, that's what we deal with and the temptation to hurry up and build our image before we let God develop character. And that's what Jesus is being asked to do here. That's, what, that's what's going on. In verse 7 he says, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, if I have a healthy relationship with someone, I don't have to wonder or keep putting it to the test to see if they love me. Like, I don't have to set little booby traps for Ashley to see if she can navigate through them right to prove her love on the, to me on the other side of that. And she doesn't have to do that. Our relationship is healthy enough to where I know she loves me. She knows that I love her, and I don't have to do all of these things for her to prove it to me. And that's what Jesus is saying here. That attitude, saying, I want all of this, like, that's... You want God to prove His love to you. Don't tempt God that way. Just what Jesus says, you don't put Him to the test that way. We are made in the image of our God. We are built and made in the image. And we don't work ourselves into that image. Like, we don't do stuff to get us there. We don't do miraculous things to say, see, I'm in the image of God now. Jesus here... This is where he starts his ministry. You think about in Genesis. There were six days of creation. And on the sixth day, the very last thing that God created was mankind. And then he said, okay, mankind, it's time to rest. Rest from what? Mankind hasn't done anything. They were just created. And God says, rest. Because there is where my image will be formed in you. Not in your work, but in rest. Rest in me. That's where the image of God is formed in us. It starts in this place. It comes from being with God, not working for God. Like, I don't work my way and say, look, I'm more like God now because I've done all of these things. It's resting and knowing that my identity is found in Christ. My image, I'm an image bearer of the, of the God of all creation and God of heaven, and, and I'm resting in that truth. And all of these other things that, that flow out of that, that's just that's a reaction to my image bearing, my be, being like God, my being an image bearer. And this is where Jesus starts his ministry. It's very interesting that the first place he goes before he starts his ministry is in a place where he needs to be still. There's no miracles going on. There's no ministry going on. There's no disciple making going on. There's no nothing going on. But Him and His God, His Father, that's where His ministry starts. That's where the image of God is formed in you, in your rest, not in your work. And so the temptation would be to lose our image to say, bypass that. The temptation, the third one He, he challenges us with is to take power. That's where he goes after what Jesus... Verse, verse 8, he says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. So if we weren't sure if these others were sins or not, this one is. This one is. 
to say, worship something other than your father. Now, Jesus is already king. He's, he's already being given all authority and, and all of the power. And so what is being offered to him here? Like he's saying, you can be king over all of this, Jesus, if you just worship me. Now, that's, that's confusing already. How can I be king of everything if I'm worshiping you, number one? But number two, I'm already king of everything. What are you talking about? All of these kingdoms belong to me. I have all authority and all power over all of these kingdoms and all of their glory. They come from me. And so what's being asked here of Jesus is to shortcut His glory. To bypass the cross. Say, all of these can become yours, Jesus, if you just bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, no, but they'll all be mine too at the cross. They'll all be given to me at the cross. And without the cross, there's no resurrection. Without resurrection, you and I stay dead in our sin. So when I say that the salvation of man is is hanging in the balance here, this is what I mean. That if Jesus decides to shortcut the cross, we're doomed. We need Jesus to go to the cross for us. We need the cross if there's going to be any hope for life. And this is our story. We want glory, but we don't want the cross. We we want the glory, God. We want the attention. We want the influence, but we don't want the character. We want forgiveness, God, but we don't want want to confess. We don't want to talk about it. Just forgive me, God. I don't want to walk through the process of repentance. Just forgive me. Like, we want those things. We want transformation, but we don't want what comes with transformation. The chipping away and the pulling and the tearing of the things that hurt us and harm us and cause us to break the image of God. We just want the transformation. That's our story. The entire story of Christianity hangs on the cross. The entire story. You become a Christian through the cross. You grow as a Christian through the cross. That's where it's at. This entire story is found in the cross. And it is the most confusing and scandalous story. Paul would say it's a stumbling block to the Jews, this gospel, this good news. And it's, it's foolishness, it's folly for the Gentiles. Like, it makes no sense. And so we should struggle with the idea that the cross is the means by which all of this is taken care of, that all this is pulled off. And so the temptation would be to say, I'm going to take power without taking it the hard way, without getting it the hard way. I'm going to bypass the cross. I'm going to get my glory without the cross. And let me just say this. Most of the time, the most dangerous position we could be is in a position of power. And we need to believe that. We need to believe, like... You've seen the damage in this world of a one person who has all the power. It's, it normally doesn't work out in everyone's favor when one person has all the power and they haven't developed a dependence on God. 
and they haven't been molded into the character of God, it hardly turns out good if you've been given the power and you haven't been given the character and then molded into the likeness and image of God. That you don't understand your utter dependence on your Heavenly Father as you have the power. If those two things are disconnected, it won't go good for you. It won't go good for anyone. And so in the end, the only way that you and I defeat temptation, here's the... Here's the the tool for your bag today. The only way that you and I defeat temptation is to look to the one who pulled it off. You and I are incapable of doing it apart from him. We cannot do it apart from the one who already did it. The one who already accomplished it. The reality of this passage is that it's really a replay from the beginning of the story. This whole story is just a, a replay that there was a battle between Adam who represents all of us in the room and the enemy. There was this cage match, there was this battle, and Satan wins. He wins the fight. And this time, in this story, the second, the better Adam goes toe-to-toe with the enemy here. He's on the front line and he overcomes. Jesus. Notice the contrast that Adam is in a garden full of abundance necessities met in all kinds of ways, provision. He's sitting, he's sitting sweet as he goes into battle with the enemy. And you look at Jesus. He had to do it in a barren desert alone, right? Adam does it on a full tank of gas. Jesus is hungry after 40 days. Adam has a companion support to go at it together. Jesus is alone. Do you see the contrast that's going on here? That Jesus, his whole story, his whole life is about undoing what Adam failed at. And here he is at the very beginning undoing the story that all of these things were set for Adam and he still blew it. And all of these things were taken away from Christ and he overcame it. In verse 10, Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. You don't serve yourself and you don't serve this community. Let's get that straight. Our loving our neighbors as we love ourselves is only a byproduct of us serving and loving our God. And that's where we stay fixed. And then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Jesus was the true Adam. He was the one to come and to fix and to defeat Satan. Romans chapter 5 is a verse that says here, Paul says, For as by one man's, referring to Adam, one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So for Adam's disobedience, you and I were made sinners. And so by the one man's, referring to Jesus, one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Christ's obedience is our righteousness. Not ours, not anything that we can do, not any good work, not any serving the poor and loving our neighbor and doing all of these great things. It is the obedience of Christ that makes us righteous. And so our faith is in Him. We put our faith, we put our life, our hope, everything is in Christ. We're made righteous by His work. And this desert moment for Jesus was a preparation moment for the ministry and the final destiny that He faced. You see, because 
the God-man, Jesus Christ, knows the story from front to back. Before he enters into humanity, he knows what he's entering into. He knows what his destiny is. He knows what's at the end. And so this moment, this little blank of an eye moment that he's going through here is in preparation for the cross. Preparation to endure that and to make it through that. He always had the power. But he never, ever used it to serve himself. He always used his power to serve others. And so this moment he's been preparing for, we see the ultimate question in Matthew chapter 27 in the last part of verse 40. And Jesus is on the cross. He's been pinned to the cross. And what question comes up? If you are the Son of God, has he heard these words before? If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. That's the ultimate test. In the most extreme moment of temptation, Christ was asked the question, if you are the Son of God, come down. Pull yourself off the cross. That's the ultimate temptation. And for your sake and for my sake, and most of all for the glory of His Father, He remained on the cross. And our salvation is found in that work. That work. Not anything we've done. Not anything that we will do. It's found in the work of Christ. He didn't skirt around it. He didn't shy away from it. He embraced it. And He gave His life as a ransom for many of you. And so we journey into the next season of ministry for Sulphur Community Church. It's not about us. It's not about us at all. And as we journey through the next season of ministry for Sulphur Community Church, we will face assaults from the enemy. We will face temptation. We will give in to temptation. We will fall. But we are not defeated. We are not destroyed because our righteousness, our strength, and all of these are found in the work that's already been accomplished. It's already been pulled off in Christ. And so our hearts and our lives are set on what He's done. And we forge ahead. So let's pray. Father, we come to You this morning, and I'm so thankful. God, that You let me be a part of what's going on.